WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com/wnyc and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com/wnyc and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. This is All of It. I'm Allison Stewart, live from the WNYC studios in Soho. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. I'm really grateful you're here. On today's show, the Paco de Lucia Legacy Festival, which honors the late, iconic Spanish flamenco guitarist, kicks off at Carnegie Hall tonight and then continues with a week-long string of performances all around the city. We'll speak with the festival director and hear a special live flamenco performance. And we'll continue this month's full bio, Althea. The life of tennis champion Althea Gibson. In this installment, we learn about the village it took to get her career off the ground. Plus, we continue our ongoing series, The Big Picture, with the Oscar nominated composer behind the unusual score for Poor Things, Jerkskin Fendrix. That is the plan, so let's get this started with language. According to a new book by my next guest, linguist Ross Perlin, New York City is the most linguistically diverse city in the history of the world. The borough of Queens alone counts more languages per square mile than anywhere else on Earth. According to the work of Perlin's organization, the Endangered Language Alliance, one-tenth of all languages on the planet is spoken by at least one person in New York City. Many of these languages and others around the world are in danger of disappearance as dominant languages take over, and fewer people grow up speaking them or having access to other speakers. As Perlin explains in his book, hundreds of languages could disappear over the next few hundred years. In the book Language City, Perlin takes account of New York's singular linguistic diversity and its history in an effort to celebrate and preserve for the future. Ross, welcome to the studio, and happy Pub Day, by the way. Thank you so much, Allison. Listeners, we we want to hear from you. We want your help reporting the story. What language did you grow up speaking? What language do you currently speak at home? How connected are you to your ancestors' language? Language. Call in. Tell us about your languages. And maybe you'll even get to speak them on air. 212-433-9692. 212-433-WNYC. We would love for you to speak them on air. 212-433-9692. You can call in. You can talk to us on air. You can also text to us at that number. Social media is available as well at all of it. W. NYC. Over 700 languages are represented in New York City. How can you break that number down? We've been mapping the languages of New York for the last 10 years or so at the Endangered Language Alliance, which is the only organization in the world that's 
committed to uh, supporting linguistic diversity, documenting endangered languages. Um, that's five to six times the number that appears on the census. So most of these languages that we're talking about are indigenous, minority, and endangered languages, primarily oral languages, not the sort of major national languages you've heard of. Uh, everyone knows that New York is diverse, that cities are, of course, mm-hmm. fundamentally you know diverse places where people come together from all over. Uh, but what's happened in, in New York, especially since the Immigration Act of 1965, really, uh, the last several decades, New York has just become a place that's receiving uh, speakers of languages from the most linguistically diverse hotspots around the world, um, places where indigenous languages of, 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 of Mexico and Central America, of West Africa, of the Himalaya. And, um, you know, we have tried to, to map and now in, in my book, Language City, really bring out the stories of these languages that few other New Yorkers know are spoken all around them. And, you know, it, it occurred to me, because there's this great map, this language map, where all you can go to all different neighborhoods. You can go to this neighborhood, anywhere, and see where languages are spoken. And I just one neighborhood nearby, and it's, it had um, an East African language. I was like, wow, just by itself. And I realized there's a church there. And it made me think about community spaces. And this has got to be – that community spaces have to be important in this. So our language map, which you can check out, it's free, fun. interactive at languagemap.nyc, and there's a print version as well. Um, it's uh, based around these significant sites, Alice, and exactly what you're talking about, churches, mosques, synagogues, restaurants, community centers, hometown associations, which I think are particularly fascinating. Mm. There are thousands of these hometown associations. They might just look like social clubs. They might be in people's apartments, but they're places that connect translocally people in particular neighborhoods or particular blocks or buildings here in New York with a town on the other side of the world, the true sister cities of New York, in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what we've tried to, to map through our language mapping. That's also, those are the stories that I've tried to tell in the book. Mm-hmm. And that's really the, the bedrock of the city. This is really a city that's built around these ties to, to, to places on the other side of the world. When we think about the enclaves, whether it be Little Italy or Chinatown, Little Syria, how does that factor in? to how we think about language. Does it stay within those confines? Does it uh, ever bleed out? We think of these enclaves and we know their names and they obviously are iconic and historic, uh, but actually the way people live, the true linguistic geography of the city that comes out through language shows actually much deeper levels of diversity and much more mm-hmm. intricate uh, patterns of settlement and interweaving and, 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 and 40 languages spoken in the same building or on the same block, uh, vertical villages as well as UN buildings essentially, right, mm-hmm. that, 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 that populate the world of, of, of immigrant queens, but, but also not just Queens. I mean, in every borough and actually even, you know, the the greater metropolitan area, many towns and suburbs as well. So through the lens of language and and what I try to bring out in the book, uh, you know, going beyond sort of signage that you might Mm -hmm. see or the the sort of country names or the idea that there's a lot of people from a particular country. Actually, if you find out what people speak in the particular places they're from, the, the levels of diversity are much deeper and the stories are much richer. We've got a text that says, my family in Queens spoke Maltese from Malta. I never learned to speak it well, but I'm studying it now at the age of 63. Wow. That's so exciting. Do you find that people who who come to your lectures or come to see you speak want to share about family history? 
Maltese is such a fascinating example. I'm so glad to, to get that text. Mm-hmm. I was actually at the Maltese Center in Astoria yeah. not too long ago. It's a great example of one of those community spaces right there by the Triborough Bridge in, in Astoria. They have, uh, they've had Maltese classes. They have Maltese celebrations. Uh, Maltese itself is such a fascinating case of linguistic mixture. This is a Semitic language in the middle mm-hmm. of the Mediterranean, part of the European Union, uh, with a significant community that came to Queens in particular. So, um, you know, this, this language map and, and the book language city really came out of so many New Yorkers coming to us and now people from other cities as well and there are similar efforts going on in Berlin and Nairobi and Los Mm -hmm. Angeles Uh, people coming to us with their stories and saying you know oh my grandfather speaks this or I speak this language or we had a community in this area and that's really what it's come out of it's a sort of people's census a linguistic census of of what people actually speak in their in their homes and uh, you know going well beyond any kind of official statistics. What are the most represented languages in New York City? So, of course, there are the large languages, right? And New York has come a long way in terms of supporting what are called the 10 citywide languages, which actually have some official support from the city government. Uh, and those are all languages with you know, probably over 100,000 speakers. Of course, New York is a major Spanish-speaking metropolis with varieties of Spanish from all over the world, right? A tremendous kind of Spanish-speaking city unto itself, uh, as well as you know, the, the, the most uh, number of speakers of varieties of Chinese, not just Mandarin, but Cantonese, Fujinese, Wenjonese. Um, then there's Bengali, Haitian Creole, uh, Urdu, Polish, um, you know, Russian is huge. So these are all these major languages. And we do, you know, I talk about those in the book, and they're obviously, you know, hugely significant in terms of the life of the city and the history of the city. Uh, but the focus on the book, in the book really, and the focus of our work at the Endangered Language Alliance is on these smaller languages that have perhaps not been recorded or documented at all in the mm-hmm. past. Languages like Seke, a language I've been working on for several years with Rasmina Gurung, one of the youngest mm-hmm. speakers uh, anywhere. Um, and, you know, there are only at most something like 700 speakers of this language Seke in the world coming from five villages in Nepal on the border with Tibet. But at this point now, a significant percentage of them have moved to a couple of buildings in Brooklyn and some in Queens as well. Uh, And this language had really not been documented at all. You know, Rasmina has been now, we've been working on this both here and in Nepal with trips there. And I I have a chapter about it in the book, uh, you know, for several years to find a way to write the language, to record stories, to record elders, to work on the grammar, to, to work on a dictionary potentially. Uh, so that's the kind of thing that, that we're really focused on because uh, these languages, there may not be any record, but New York actually presents the opportunity uh, to do these great sustained kind of projects working together, speakers, linguists, and others to, uh, to try to preserve them in some form, uh, of course, depending on the situation and what the community wants. Ross Perlin is co-founder of the Endangered Language Alliance. Today is pub day for his book, Language City, The Fight to Preserve Endangered Mother Tongues. In New York, listeners were asking you to call in. What language did you speak growing up? What language do you currently speak at home? How are you connected to your ancestors' language? Maybe you'd like to speak some for us on air. 212-433-9692. 212-433-WNYC. You may call in and join us on air or text to us. Okay, we've got a couple of interesting callers. Mama calling in from Queens. Hi, Mamadou. Hi, how are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, I was calling you know, uh, about the Fulani tribe from mm. Guinea-Conakry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So we got a lot of Fulani in New York City over here, but there's one thing that I'm observing, you know, most of the time the parents, especially the mothers, they don't speak the Fulani language to the kids. Mm-hmm. So the kids are growing up without knowing the language. You can talk to them, they can understand some part, but they can't even speak it. 
So what can we do to encourage the families, like especially the, mo the mothers, to, to talk the native language to the kids more? Thank you so much, Mamadou. It's, it's great to get your call. Thank you for this. This is a crucial question that mm -hmm. we think about and talk about all the time. And I want to say that Fulani is a major important language of New York also. Mm -hmm. it's, it's mentioned in the book at several places. It's on the language map in several places. Um, you know, there are efforts to, to write Fulani, as I understand that I mentioned in the book, um, with a, a new, relatively new writing system as well. And Fulani is also, just for, for listeners, you know, it's, it's almost a, a small language family. It's, there's so much complexity within Fulani uh, from, you know, Guinea Conakry that uh, Mamadou mentions, but there are also Fulani speakers here from Senegal, there are some from Mauritania, and there are Fulani speakers, you know, uh, of different varieties of Fulani all the way to the Red Sea, as, as I understand it. So this is such an important language with, with so much complexity and so much that, you know, that, that remains to be kind of known and understood. This question about transmission to children mm. is central, and it's the, it's the paradox at the heart of the story of New York as this great linguistic capital, because so many languages come here, there's, this is, you know, the most linguistic diverse place in the world, in the history of the world, but most of the languages are not being maintained here. There are so many pressures to shift to other languages, not just English, but it could be French for many West African New Yorkers will feel that pressure. Many Himalayan New Yorkers might feel the pressure to switch to Nepali or to Hindi. Indigenous Latin American New Yorkers may feel the pressure to switch to Spanish. Um, you know, that pressure is intense and there's not much support really, from the city government, the schools, and so on, beyond the few biggest languages. And even for those, the support is weak. Uh, so, you know, there are communities which are teaching their own languages and, um, you know, at community centers, and that's huge. Uh, we have served as a space, our office near Union Square, the Endangered Language Alliance, for language classes for many languages, if, if you know, a free space and, and also a kind of uh, a hub for this kind of thing. Classes are certainly are, are, are helpful, but then you need materials. We've helped publish some materials, mm -hmm. children's books. These days you also need videos, you know, cartoons. These things are very good, obviously, in terms of bringing, you know, getting kids interested, uh, you know, having sort of media, films. There, there's a lot of work and organizing that, that has to happen. Um, but I think, you know, for Fulani, there are a lot of speakers. There are a lot of language activists doing good work. It really begins and ends in the home, though, I think, and the decisions of parents. Um, and parents have to stay committed to a kind of language policy of the home where they're saying, you know, yes, they will learn English in school, they'll learn it in the streets, they'll learn French, they'll learn Arabic in the mosque and so on, but they need to learn, you know, the mother tongue mm -hmm. here in the home. The home is the most important place. So I would say, Mama, do whatever you and others can do mm -hmm. to even every day in your choices, just what you what you speak to people, even the young people, just to, to just use the language and to speak it in the home. Let's talk to Greg calling in from Middle Village, Queens. Hi, Greg. Thanks for calling all of it. Yes. Mm. I just uh, Scottish Gaelic. Oh, Scottish, Scottish Gaelic. Gaelic. Oh, okay, good. Wow. Ask me if I wanted to speak it. Yeah. I'm not super fluent, but I'm fluent enough to say that. Uh, anyways, <laughs> wow. this thank you. <laughs> this week is Gaelic week. I was just reading it this morning and the Caledonian Club of New York, mm. which offers Scottish Gaelic lessons, has having an event tonight at eight PM. So if you want to go to their website you can find out about that. Uh Fantastic. Uh, 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 to, to to the author here, have you ever heard of Nancy Dorian, the ethno linguist? 
Yeah, Nancy Dorian, yeah. who has researched Scottish Gaelic, is a really important linguist in terms of documenting, you know, mm-hmm. what what happens as as a language goes out of use. She meticulously documented it for some varieties of Scottish Gaelic. That's right. Um, thank you so much for the call, the mention of the Caledonian Club, which I believe is on the the language map, languagemap.nyc mm-hmm. for Scottish Gaelic. Uh, it's great to hear some Scottish Gaelic. Um, that is, you know, Irish. I, I thought it was Irish at first because I heard a few, you know, words. They're obviously re- closely related languages. And Irish has been so important in the history of New York City, mm. and I've met many language activists around Irish. And um, but to hear Scottish Gaelic is wonderful. It's it's played a, a role in the linguistic history of the city. Uh, it's it's a language that uh, I understand there are a lot of revitalization efforts around it. So uh, it's wonderful to hear about that event. I'll be at my own book opening at the at the at the Strand Bookstore, but otherwise I would love to be there and would love to come to another event. There is a text as a question for you. It says, "Hello, I'm a Spanish speaker in Washington Heights. I hear more and more indigenous languages from." Central America. What am I hearing? Washington Heights is one of the places that speakers of indigenous Latin American languages are, are coming to. Um, and uh, they, they could be from a number of places. The perhaps most widely spoken indigenous language of Latin America here is Mixteco or Mixtec mm-hmm. from Mexico, especially uh, the areas of Guerrero, some from Oaxaca and Puebla. Um, and that actually is, there's a number of different varieties of Mixteco that are quite different. Uh, it could also be Nahuatl or Tlapaneco, those are other languages of Mexico. There's several others that it, that it, that it could be. Uh, could also be Mayan languages of Guatemala, mm. which have become quite prominent here, uh, including Quiche, Mam, Cachiquel, and others. Um, and, uh, and another possibility would be from the Andes, spe- speakers of varieties of Quechua, what's called Quichua in Ecuador, which is where many speakers here come from. So Washington Heights is definitely one of those places. It's wonderful that you're hearing it on the, on the streets. Uh, and hopefully, you know, that's people will feel open and free to speak their languages here because there is sometimes for speakers of these languages a shame uh, around speaking languages that they were often told were somehow broken or that they should speak Spanish or English. Uh, so it's a good sign if you're if you're hearing people speaking them and if there's a way to, I don't know, support or smile uh, about that, That's that would be wonderful. Thanks yeah, for the question. We got a text that said, I heard uh, Nahuatl on the streets of the Upper East Side. Having grown up in Mexico, it blew my mind since it's a language not often heard in Mexican cities and wanted to know if there are any initiatives to preserve. So Nahuatl is one of the languages that we have had taught in our center. It's a language that is featured in Language City, uh, the book that the book that I wrote that just came out focused on uh, uh, a wonderful guy named Irwin, who is also mm-hmm. a very talented, award-winning chef uh, who cooks with Nahuatl etymologies in mind. Because actually, every uh, Mexican food you've ever heard of, whether it's guacamole or tacos and so on, mole, it all the words are mm-hmm. all from Nahuatl because Nahuatl really was just mm-hmm. the language of the Mexica or the Aztecs. This was the official language of that empire, essentially, and it's 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 a bedrock of Mexican culture. There are hundreds of other indigenous languages as well. But Nahuatl was a lingua franca spoken by many, the place names, the food names, as I said. So, um, you know, it is increasingly coming to New York. That's, you know, fantastic that you heard it and that you recognized it. Um, and uh, there are some, you know, initiatives here or there uh, in the city around teaching or speaking it. It's still, it's still a challenge to find spaces for indigenous languages here, but that's what we're trying to do. The name of the book is Language City, The Fight to Preserve Endangered Mother Tongues in New York. My guest is Ross Perlin. If you'd like to join our conversation, what language did you grow up speaking? What language do you currently speak at home? How are you connected to your ancestors' languages? 212-433-WNYC, 212-433-9692. More of your calls and more with Ross Perlin after a quick break. This is all of it. 
You are listening to all of it on WNYC. I'm Allison Stewart. Joining me on Pub Day for his new book, Auth- uh, Language City, The Fight to Preserve Endangered Mother Tongues in New York. New York. The author's name is Ross Perlin. He's the co-founder of the Endangered Language Alliance. We're getting so many great texts, uh, Ross. I am from Curacao, the Dutch Caribbean, and we speak Papamiento. Papiamento. Wow, yes. I, yes, I... The the texter asks, I'm not sure if that was one of the languages that was discovered in New York City. I think Papiamento is there on the map that we had met at mm-hmm. some point some speakers in Brooklyn, but would love to would love to learn more. It's it's a fascinating and important Caribbean Creole that uh, you know yeah is. Uh, um, it should be represented. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Sicilian dialect connects me to my cousins in Palermo. We came from Astoria, Queens, now in Freehold, even in Sicily. It's hard to find. I've got someone else. I'm originally from Kyrgyzstan, Central Asia. My first language is Russian, but I learned Kyrgyz. I hope I'm saying that mm-hmm. right. Growing up, although I'm not fluid, I visit my home country every year to catch up. Wow. I love these. I love these calls. Yeah, these ties between places, that mm-hmm. those visits, those those connections, whether it's to Palermo or Kyrgyzstan, that's what makes New York what it is. So in your book, you follow, we get to meet <laughs> six people. And this is how you describe them in your acknowledgments. To the six speakers, Rasmina for your bravery and generosity. Husnaya. Husnaya. Thank you. Husnaya yeah. for your pre- perseverance and dreams. Boris for your spirit and ceaseless invention. Ibrahima for your storytelling and hospitality. Erwin for your maestro's touch. And Karen for your teaching in language and life. You've told us about Erwin and Rasmina. Could you share a little bit about the other four folks? Sure. So the the book is both a linguistic history of the city, um, starting with Lenape, the original language mm-hmm. of the city, um, and uh, and actually one of the the speakers who's featured is Karen, who who, who passed away uh, a little over a year ago, who um, brought Lenape back to the city really for the first time as, as a language being taught actively in several centuries. She came down from Ontario, which is one of the places where Lenape people live now. Uh, she had learned the language as a, as a second language uh, as as part of the Lenape revival movements that are happening in both Ontario, Oklahoma, and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really, you know, there's perhaps one native speaker left, um, mm-hmm. but now there is this world of second language learners from the from the tribe, like like Karen, who are who are reviving it. And she brought the language back, and I talk about the classes that she taught at our mm-hmm. center, driving down 10 hours from the reserve in Ontario to, to teach it on 18th Street, uh, which, was, which was such a special experience for, for everyone who was able to be there. Um, the languages, the other languages and speakers represent, you know, different parts of the world, different challenges around language. Um, there's Husnia, who comes from Tajikistan, uh, the Pamir region. This is one of the city's newest communities, uh, speaking half a dozen different languages. Her native language is called Wahi. Uh, she, you know, just published with us a series of children's books in these six languages oh, of this region in Tajikistan, this mountainous region that, that people are, are, for various reasons, having to leave um, and is just kind of an extraordinary extraordinary brave you know person uh, who, who you know came here on her own in her early 20s um, then there's Ibrahima who is uh, also he's from he's from Guinea and uh, is uh, uh, championing a, a relatively new writing system called unko developed in the 1940s for the manding languages this is a very important group of languages spoken across West Africa divided by colonial borders um, and uh, you know this movement to write the language in Unko, this 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 completely kind of original script, uh, is something that Ibrahim has been tirelessly doing. The first person to teach it in the in the U.S. in a, at a mosque in the Bronx, um, you know, running a, a 
a blog, a podcast, and so on, uh, and even just you know getting a script into Unicode, the digital world, and and making sure that it works in all the types of software and digital yeah. you know realms uh, today. I mean, we don't think about those challenges if we if we speak mm-hmm. and write in a, in, a, in a large language. But uh, Ibrahima has been has been doing all of that. Um, and uh, so then you know we mentioned uh, Irwin mm-hmm. and we mentioned uh, Rasmina. Um, and um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, it's it's yeah. I, it's it's a representative group. Mm-hmm. I guess the, the 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 last person to really to mention here is Boris, Boris uh, yes. who is uh, a, a speaker of Yiddish, originally from Moldova, speaks a number of other languages, and uh, the editor of the Forwards, the Yiddish Forward, for uh, many years. Uh, himself a novelist and a poet and just a, a, a jack of all trades of all arts. Uh, and who is himself becoming the infrastructure of, of, of Yiddish. Of course, Yiddish is a complex story. It's mm-hmm. the language, um, a language in my own family's history as well that I've explored. Uh, and it's it's having its own kind of interesting revival, especially through Hasidic speakers, especially in Brooklyn, which is a world center of the language. But it's also had trials and tribulations mm-hmm. with, uh, uh, you know, many speakers sort of losing it, giving it up, the loss of so many Yiddish speakers in the Holocaust and other things that have happened. Uh, and and um, you know, Boris is somebody who is uh, is keeping the language alive through through his heart. Let's talk to. And I hope I pronounce this correctly. Agim uh, from New York. Agim. Agim. Hi, Agim. Agim. In Albanian, what you see, you pronounce. So it's A G I M, meaning mm. Agim. Uh, I don't know if you are familiar familiar with Albanian, but it's an Indo-European language. Yes, yes. has nothing to do with our neighbor languages, like uh, Greeks and uh, Serbs and Turks. Although we have a good portion of uh, Turkish language, because they stayed, they invaded my country for 500 years until 1912. So, makes sense to have some. But if you see all over the Balkans. There are similarities in uh, words, in uh, even in Romania. We found, we were last year there traveling, and there are many similarities in words. You can find stuff that you think, how can it be possible? Romania is not even close mm. with Albania, but mm. here you go. Achim, yes. I'm going to ask you to, if you don't mind, could you tell me, oh gosh, I don't know, tell me um, your favorite thing about New York in your language. New York, Gratacilat, Bukura, Kanyet, Shunt, Vestir, Vectun, New York, Vetum, Punohat, and the Flihet. Thank you, Akim. <laughs> do, you I... tell, do you want to tell us what you said? <laughs> you want me to translate it? Yes, please. Uh, New York is beautiful, has many uh, high rising uh, buildings. Uh, and the life in New York is like work and sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Again, can I, yeah, in. can I ask? Is it is it uh, there's gag and tosk varieties of Albanian? I, I understand that you know there are exactly. all kinds of Albanian speakers in New York. What type? What variety of Albanian would you yeah. say you speak? I am from uh, Albania, Albania. Uh-huh. I'm from northeast of Albania. It's called Dibur. Okay. Uh, and uh, I was raised in Tirana, in capital. Okay. As you said, there are many versions of Albanians, and one of them is uh, from Kosovo, mm-hmm. uh, and the other one is from Montenegro, where there are lots of Albanians. And like you said, it's Tosk and Geg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tosk meaning it's from the south, and Geg is from the north. 
these are two dialects, main dialects. Then uh, you go through the cities and the, the areas and you find so many dialects that it's uh, impossible to explain. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in. Let's talk to Jakob uh, calling in from Sunset Park. Hi. Hi, how are you? Um, so one piece of advice I'd have for, um, for people who have children, if you want to teach your child uh, the ling- your native language, this is what I do. So uh, I speak Arabic, and I have a five-year-old. So every time he talks to me in English, uh, you know, I'll just tell him, stop Arabic, and I'll just tell him Arabic. And then he'll ask me. So, for example, if he asks me, like, um, you know, um, I'm hungry, I'll just say Arabic. And then he'll ask me, how do I say that? And I'll tell him, hmm. you know, anajawa, uh, uh, which basically means I'm, I'm hungry. So uh, that's the best way to, like, preserve the language. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tell my family members, do the same thing. Please do not talk to my child in English. Uh, he gets mm-hmm. that enough, you know, in school. Talk to him in Arabic. So that's one piece of advice, piece of advice I'd give to people. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jakob. That's powerful, yeah. I want to speak to Silka in Brooklyn. Hi, Silka. Thanks for calling in. Hey, hi. How are you? Can you be okay? Yeah, you hear, you sound great. Perfect. So, um... I uh, was born in in Brooklyn, New York. I come from, or my parents are both from uh, Germany and are German speakers. But because the time that they came to this country is right sort of after the World War II, in the early 60s, they were young. Um, I think German at that time was, I guess we would use the word verboten. I mean, you just just didn't want to inherit your, you you didn't want to hold on to your sort of German past. You wanted to shed it quickly. And speaking the language was, again, verboten. It was sort of like a no-no. Um, and so, you know, I, I would hear them speak German, but maybe to their families, um, you know, overseas on the phone, but that was it. It was just not spoken at all. And I grew up in the seventies. You had this sort of concurrent issue, which was, um, the melting pot, you know, melting into your Americanism, becoming American and shedding your language was a really big thing pushed in the schools. So I didn't get the German language at home just a little bit and also needing to just speak English. I mean, anybody who spoke a second language was looked at like a moron, you know, and we had mm-hmm. words for them that were terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking a second language was, you were an idiot. Um, so I didn't speak German and everybody else was shedding their language. Um, and so, and especially because of the past that, that Germany yeah. is attached to, you know, it was just something that you just didn't do. But now I have this, you know, going back to what Brian Lair was talking about, about regret, you know, wanting to have been attached to a language and an identity and not having it. And now it's sort of, I hear it much more frequently. I have, uh, you know, in the city, I hear more German, but um, not a lot of German restaurants, not a lot of German, um, German town, you know, that I grew up with going to Charlenweber. It was not, it's not really there so much. Um, You know, I have a German Christmas, but it's, it's what I, what I've retained, you know, but I, I regret and and long for a language that I um, just never heard. And, you know, I, even when I tried to speak it, and my initials huh. are, by the way, SS. So oh, no. I was really happy. Silka, I'm going to dive in only because we're going to run out of time. And you, you made such a really important point. Thank you so much for calling in. Someone else made the point that their grandparents um, didn't speak Italian because of discrimination. Mm. Um, what are some of the lessons that we can learn from the past? That's what that those two convert those two comments make me think about. Yeah, with both with both Italian and German around the time of World War Two mm-hmm. and World War One with German also it was, you know there was 
yeah, there was a real shame around speaking the language. There was a lot of pressure not to speak the language, both from external and internal sources. Um, we have to not make that mistake again and sort of confuse whole identities and whole languages that happen to be associated with nation states somewhere else that, you know, there might be some kind of policy mm. thing going on. But uh, that, that languages are these, you know, carriers of culture. They're full of... Um, you know, they're full of meaning for those who speak them. And under, you know, uh, normal, good, healthy circumstances, people will be able to pass on their languages. Multilingualism is totally normal in world history. Mm. It's been New York, half of all New Yorkers speak a language other than English at home. Uh, and they're, they're multilingual. We function with English as a lingua franca and with other lingua francas. But mother tongues, uh, and that's why the subtitle of my book, Language City, is the fight mm. to preserve endangered mother tongues in New York. Uh, mother tongues are so important for that sense of connection to an identity, to a family. There are people now who can't speak to their grandparents sometimes, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, because they, they, they lack this connection. They lack a common language. So for that continuity, for the identity, for ways of being, um, this is what we need to do as a city. We have this challenge as this place that is unprecedented in its linguistic diversity. What can we do to make this a, a babel that grows, a real, a real babel, not, not the one that's, that's mentioned in the book of Genesis, but, but one where languages grow and, and, and flourish, and uh, it will make us all the richer. Where's your event tonight? Can Strand you... Bookstore. I think it may be sold out, but oh. there will be many other events <laughs> okay. coming up. Please check out Language City, the fight to preserve endangered mother tongues in New York. There are going to be a bunch of events coming up as well on my website and the book's website. Um, so uh, please uh, tell me your language stories. The Endangered Language Alliance. Find us. Check out our language map, languagemap.nyc. It's really cool. Yeah. Ross Perlin, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much, Allison.